0: Good afternoon. It's Monday, the 22nd of March, 2021, just after one o'clock. Welcome to UK Column News, your host today, Mike Robinson, myself, Brian Gerrish, and we're joined by David Scott, bringing us Northern Exposure from north of the border. Troubled times, Mike.
1: Yes, well, we're gonna uh, kick off with uh, with London. Obviously, there's a march going on there, uh, an anti-lockdown march. Uh, David, uh, I'm gonna say right off the bat, It looked like a very pleasant experience, most people uh, just getting on with walking down the street. Uh, uh, Lots of signs, uh, lots of support for alternative media, which was nice, but uh, lots and lots of people there, more people than the BBC wanted to see, Uh, lots of people laughing, smiling, just getting on with life, and I think that was uh, a really positive uh, effort.
2: Absolutely, a celebration of life, uh, but they didn't have a permit for it, Mike. And uh, the government would like you to have a permit to celebrate life now. And um, the, 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 the things that struck me about the crowd, firstly was the size. So that was too, too big for any, any sort of intimidation tactics of the, of the type we've seen so often. Uh, secondly, uh, you always know that it's an anti-lockdown protest because there are no masks um and everyone's smiling another yes. thing is it was all all types of human beings all shapes, size colors ages it was the whole of society out there uh protesting um, um david
1: david just before we move on can i just quickly ask you to take your phone out of your pocket and switch it off because we're getting lots of interference from your phone uh over your microphone Very we, we'll I'm speak to you about this programme. yes the program. we will do yes yeah Yeah, but uh, look, uh, coming back to uh, uh, lockdowns, uh, this was Sky News uh, tweeting out hundreds of people. Was it hundreds of people or was it more than that? Sky News,
2: uh, Sky Fake News, were trying to say it was hundreds of people and it clearly wasn't. It was many, many thousands. uh, And Sky, even the BBC had to admit it was thousands. Uh, Sky trying to uh, suggest... It was um, only a small group of extremists and many were arrested, trying to put an entirely false spin on things. Um, now, the BBC, uh, to be fair, it was a much better report than Sky managed. Uh, here we see uh, COVID arrests uh, during anti-lockdown protests in London. They're still concentrating on the arrests because they're trying to put fear in people because it's the BBC. Uh, but the the, the the signs that the protesters were carrying Obviously, they were often excellent, and they they rather told their own story. This one says, Fear West, monster, not the virus. Time for every colour and creed to unite against the system. Uh, But the BBC comments, Thousands of people have attended anti-lockdown demonstrations in London after MPs urged the government to allow peaceful protests during the lockdown. Almost a hint of blaming the MPs for sticking up for our rights. Kind of like that was a bit irresponsible of them, says the BBC. Um, and uh, they continue. Uh, earlier, more than 60 MPs and peers wrote to the Home Secretary calling for laws to be changed to allow peaceful protests during lockdown. Liberal Democrat leader Sir Ed Davey blamed the scenes at Clapham event on a lack of clarity, more on that later, a lack of clarity putting police in an impossible position, adding that the right to protest was a basic freedom, which is not what I was told in Edinburgh the other day, uh, one man Mankind of placard bearing the words, no more NHS and government lies. So we see the NHS is um, no longer um, the state religion. People are starting to doubt that too.
1: Okay, and uh, that takes us to the Deputy Assistant Commissioner, Lawrence Taylor.
2: Yes, now this is a very interesting uh, li- little uh, talk he gives here. Uh, the confusion is what comes across most uh, starkly. Uh, People will see this if you uh, run the table.
3: So the current health protection regulations, coronavirus regulations, are very clear that it is unlawful to meet more than one person outside or one household to another household, uh, which you can do for recreational purposes. And there are some exemptions, but protest is not one of those exemptions. Now, of course, everybody has a right to protest. Protest is not unlawful. um, But gatherings of this size are unsafe, and they are. So it's in- incredibly challenging uh, to police events like this, particularly in the current circumstances. Uh, we absolutely recognise the strength of feeling within communities. Um, so what we need to do is we need to try and look at what is the best way to keep people safe, the best way uh, to proportionately enforce the law uh, and do that in a way that, that is, or, or is, requires as, as little intrusion as we can. Now, of course, we know that, that Crowds of thousands of people um, is way above the restrictions, so we need to consider all the options available to us. Uh, one of which is enforcement, which we don't want to do, but we will have to do uh, if the crowds continue to gather.
2: Well, so-, so let me just uh, let me just unpack that quickly, if I may. Uh, the law is very clear uh, that that. Uh, you can't be any more than one person because that's unlawful, except when it's not, and you can do it under their exemptions. So that's clear. Protest is unlawful, um, but it's also not unlawful simultaneously. It's, it's not unlawful, but you can't do it because it's against the law. Um, the uh, we're going to police proportionately. Not sure if that happens when there's a bank robber going about and an actual crime, but we're going to have proportionate. Then we're, we're going to we're going to have as little intervention as possible because, again, that's not what happens when it's a real crime and they don't want to enforce uh, the regulations and he smirks at that point to uh, show that that's actually a lie and he knows it. Quite a performance.
0: Uh, The other thing he said, of course, was gathering like this are a risk and I'd like him to provide the evidence to support that statement. I don't think he has any evidence at all.
1: Um, which uh, takes us on to the Steve Laws report.
2: Yes, Steve. So we have to go to uh, independent journalists now to get something uh, a little more uh, thorough or a little more unbiased. Uh, Steve Laws, an independent journalist on the scene, uh, reporting on this online. Um, here we see, the in contrast to the happy crowd we saw in the first uh, video clip you showed, Mike, um, uh, a group of balaclava-clad helmeted police with riot shields, including some quite light, lightly built female police in the front line, which I'm not sure is a wonderfully good idea. Um, and uh, a comment from a member of the crowd, one young woman named Jasmine, who witnessed a police officer brutally kicking an innocent protester, said, I can't believe what I just saw. He kicked that poor man. He did nothing wrong. Um, that, isn't, that isn't legal. So they're, they're, the crowd are seeing the police are being unlawful.
1: Uh, well, many people have seen that footage, uh, which was absolutely disgraceful. And, uh, of course, it's getting increasingly difficult to identify individual police, David, who, who behave in this way. Particularly when what happened was that, you know, as, as the uh, policeman was getting his boot into the, the uh, lockdown protester, uh, all his colleagues gathered around to protect him.
2: Well, protect him or obscure him. Uh, protect him from the gaze of the public, protect him from cameras, protect protect him from evidence of what he was doing, because it's criminal. I think that's what was happening.
1: Uh, indeed. OK, well, look, let's move on then, because that wasn't the only uh, protest that took place over the weekend. Uh, and let's move on to Bristol.
2: Yes, quite the opposite case in Bristol. So rather than being good-natured and friendly, um, we have... Uh, violence and property damage so here we see the mail online kill the bill or kill the old bill they, they ask violent extremists extremists in quote marks were determined for conflict with bristol cops uh, and left 20 officers injured 12 police vans and nine cars and nhs parking bays trashed as seven were arrested oh, only seven arrested there but 33 in london when it was peaceful that's a very strange figure right away um and um, this one was a um, different sort of crowd. Uh, we see here in the next, the next scene uh, the crowd outside um, the, the police office. So we see there's just two of them dressed in black with an anti flag. So that's the, that's the extreme far left, um, perhaps hired uh, troublemakers. We see almost everyone's wearing a mask. Uh, so, so these protesters aren't protesting against the lockdown. They bind the lockdown. They want government restrictions on your breathing. Um, they want, uh, but all uh, they want government restrictions and government control. The problem is, it's they don't run the government. The problem is they want the, their ideology to be in control, and um, anything that stands in the way is viewed as uh, hateful and to be removed violently. And this this week, that uh, happened to be. Um, even in Somerset Police, um, The Express took a dim view of this, um, it's, it's, it it's, uh, reported a uh, Bristol riot uh, protest carnage leaves 20 officers injured, 12 police vehicles damaged and a comment here Chief Constable Andy Marsh said 20 police officers were injured during the protest last night, one officer suffered a collapsed lung after being stamped on. So that gives you an idea of the sort of brutality that was on display. Uh, and of course, you can always rely on Owen Jones to provide some degree of um, support and intellectual support for violence against the police. He wrote, "If the government attempts to criminalise peaceful protest um, and police are set on women at a vigil, the scenes tonight in Bristol become a, an inevitability. No justice, no peace." Isn't best understood as a threat, was a statement of the glaringly obvious. So that's the the the, the left uh, Guardian. Uh, readers approach um, but Bristol obviously has some background here the background being uh, some very gentle policing over the the statues protest when we had property damage affecting the history and heritage of the nation the police stood by and uh, here's here's a police officer to explain exactly why and how no, that
4: has been a historical figure that caused the black community over the last couple of years. So whilst I am disappointed that people were damaged, one of our statues, I do understand why it's happened. It's very symbolic. You might wonder why we didn't intervene and why we uh, just allowed people to put it in the docks. We made a very tactical decision that to stop people from doing that act may of course further disorder. And we decided the safest piece to do in terms of our policing tactics was to allow it to take place. Should you have stopped this happening? Should you have protected the statue? So our policing style was from the outset low-key. We were not able to get to the statue in time to protect it. And once it had actually been toppled, there was clearly a pre-planned attempt to bring that down. They had grappling ropes and they had had the right tools. So once it was down, we made a decision. The right thing to do was just allow it to happen, because what we did not want is tension. Some people will say that maybe that's the wrong strategy, that you should have intervened and challenged this behaviour. So I understand why people might think that we should have intervened and challenged, but this was a very difficult policing operation. There's a lot of context that sits around it, and I believe we did the right thing.
1: No regrets. Um, So David, he's got no regrets. Now look, uh, what I noticed on uh, some of the slogans that were on the uh, uh, the burned out police cars and so on, uh, one of them was defund the police, and of course this was uh, one of the slogans internationally that arose out of the George Floyd uh, protests. So that gives an indication as as to who was involved in the Bristol protests in particular.
2: Yes, it's the same team that was ripping down statues in the name of George Floyd, BLM and uh, defund the police. So do you think that particular police officer as he sits in his wrecked building uh, with um, the wind blowing through the holes in the windows has regrets now? he described his uh, decision to basically run away and let it all happen as a very tactical decision and low key, but uh, he did not want to uh, generate tension. Well, it was tense uh, last night. He did generate tension. This is an example of why, um, why um, uh, collaborating and, uh, uh, and, and trying to appease uh, people bent on violent conflict is not the best tactic in the world uh, for uh, Bristol police or anyone else.
0: Uh, Can I I'll just add on that? I, I would say that this uh, police officer has been heavily reframed. So I think it would be quite difficult, actually, to get a common-sense decision out of him. On one hand, he's clearly gone with the political agenda. That agenda is to cause, ultimately, breakdown in society. Now he's reaping... Uh, those very effects with the, the violence there in Bristol. but
1: uh, I, I think I'm going to go a little bit further than that because because yep. what was this protest about? It was about kill the bill. What bill are they talking about? They're talking about the police and crime bill that we've been talking about on the programme over the last couple of weeks. Now, what, are the, what effect is uh, this type of violence going to have on the pro- prospect of killing the bill? Well, in fact, what it's going to do is to justify... The kinds of uh, draconian limitations on protest that that the government is attempting to push through. Yeah. So many people on social media, David, calling this a false flag. I actually am quite sympathetic with that view, and particularly in the light of this. Now, I haven't verified uh, this this graphic. Uh, this is this is your graphic, but lots of people talking about it, and it does seem to be true. Uh, so. You know, why would the police have a, a vehicle several years old, out of MOT, sitting on the streets, just waiting to be uh, uh, set on fire?
2: That is a very good question. Um, I, I, I'm assuming that the, the number plate here is correct, and uh, that the, the, the but it is. The, well, uh,
1: what I can confirm uh, for sure is that MX uh, M- MX17 FHR is that vehicle. I've seen it in other news reports. WX, W-X. Th- Sorry, WX17 FHR is that vehicle. It has okay. been in other news reports from Bristol in 2017 and 2018. Well, well, they, they, so so that the that other much half checks is definitely, out.
2: The other. Yeah, the other half is definitely correct because I went on to the DVLA website this morning and uh, got the uh, report on that vehicle. And it does say that the MOT expired on January the 9th, 2021. So either that was a vehicle which was surplus to requirements or the police in Bristol are being uh, very unreliable when it comes to keeping their their vehicles in good running order and uh, in current MOT, which does seem
0: surprising. Well, well, it would be an offence, wouldn't it, driving an un mot car on the road? It would be an offence, so there needs to be some sort of investigation here.
2: Yes, it would be an effect for
0: somebody probably. to
1: ask. Yes, for sure. Um, OK, well, look, uh, let's move on then to uh, to this. Uh, and a, a number of people uh, tweeting about uh, the uh, COVID uh, restrictions, which are to be, I uh, think, on the 25th, which is Thursday this week, uh, are to be uh, voted upon once again in the House of uh, Parliament. And uh, well, Neil Clark here tweeting this out, uh, they will never be part of my normal. And note this lady, Dr. Arif, is saying that masks, no handshakes and physical distancing from others should be part of our lives forever, uh, even when COVID is gone because of other viruses. So we'll show the little bit of video that went with this in one second. But this is all being uh, built up to justify an extension of uh, of this legislation of the Coronavirus Act, uh, which is due to come uh, to, the, to Parliament on the 25th, as I say, for another six months extension. Uh, let's have a look at what... Uh, uh, Bernie's Tweets was saying uh, and here it is millions of years of immune system evolution disregarded as we desperately try to stave off death including from flu and all other viruses but a life must be lived and not hidden from. I will not accept this forced new normal but that's my choice. So just before we uh, get some comment from Brian and David on this let's just uh, briefly have a look at the, the BBC uh, uh, video clip of uh, Dr. Arif and what she said or how our lives need to be from now on
5: so we'll be elbowing each other rather than handshaking or kissing each other on the face um, or probably even toe tapping i definitely think that face covering is going to be a part of um, our normal state because the vaccine also yes we know that it actually protects you but our behavior around viruses shouldn't change we've seen the decline in, in norovirus the flu virus Um, And we've also seen that people now actually feel a bit nervous. I can't imagine getting into a lift or the underground and not having face coverings on anymore. I don't know about you, but I think that sort of behaviour has to carry because the way to drive down viruses within the community is always going to come down to hand washing, face covering and keeping that physical distance from people. But if we are behaving (laughs) and we are doing all the right things, I think we could have our nearest and dearest at home with us around Christmas and New Year's, which
1: will be for right. The, the thing that really cracked me up about that, David, was that uh, here she was doing her actions, uh, talking to the primary school children, which is the UK public. Uh, it, it was pathetic in a way, but this is the, the, the kind of tripe that the BBC was pushing out this morning. Um, we've got to get used to the new normal. Well, yes, gonna... and, and as, as,
2: as in, as in. As incoherent as the policeman was earlier, that was just as bad. Vaccines protect you, except that, except that they don't. Um, the, the, the flu is gone because of mask wearing. COVID is everywhere because we're not wearing masks uh, simultaneously. Um, and, and you might be able to, if we're good, if you're good little boys and girls, you might be able to have a few people around at Christmas. I mean, th- this is a person who is not in their right mind. She has been psychologically damaged by the sage uh, approach to this as much as so many other people in the, in, in the society. And, and because she's uh, got a, a medical degree, she's not immune to um, these errors, but uh, she is useful to, the, to the, the state to put her on television to help uh, further their agenda and their narrative.
0: David, I to- totally support that. Somebody in the chat box described her as showing lunacy a um, little bit unkind maybe, but certainly this individual heavily reframed. And of course, what the public needs to understand is that when the government started to reveal back in 2010 that it was going to use applied psychology to change the way the public believed, they'd already unleashed that uh, those techniques and that applied psychology within government departments to make sure that people in the civil service people in the public sector were going to toe the line before it was unleashed on the wider public and there's a lot of information about this the original trials were carried out in DEFRA this was shortly before the foot and mouth crisis and the initial amount of money put forward for reframing DEFRA was 34 million. So the evidence is there. We're gonna produce, uh, bring more of that to the surface. But when you see these officials talking with an apparent complete lack of common sense, these are heavily damaged individuals as a result of the malicious political psychology that's already been used on them. So they're just repeating a mantra.
1: Um, And so Esther McVeigh uh, decided to write in the Telegraph uh, today, yesterday. And uh, the headline is, we need urgently to bring an end to these sweeping emergency powers with the vaccine rollout a success. There is no justification for retaining uh, the power to limit our freedoms until September. So uh, she, of course, is absolutely pushing the vaccine narrative to a certain degree. And I suppose that's because she feels uh, erroneously, I think, uh, that she can't uh, say anything else. But let's just have a look at some of the detail uh, of this. Um, so she said, COVID, of course, is a deadly disease to those who are vulnerable to it. Well, this, the key words there are to those who are vulnerable to it. Uh, the rest of us, it's not very significant at all at this stage. Uh, but lockdowns and restrictions have had a disproportionate social, emotional and academic impact on children and young people. When lockdown was first announced, we were told that we'd be sent packing within 12 weeks. Uh, later... We were reassured there would be a significant return to normality by Christmas, and Christmas was cancelled. Earlier this year, vaccines were said to be our way way out, yet today ministers caution uh, that we can't vaccinate our way out of this. Uh, The whole point of vaccinating vulnerable people is so that infection by COVID cannot harm them. Uh, We've got to stop this model thinking. Not only are we abandoning the science and denting public confidence and trust in both politics and the vaccine were destroying livelihoods, damaging people's mental health and welfare, and it's our disabled and disadvantaged young people that suffer most. Uh, She said ministers want to renew the Coronavirus Act for six months until the end of September. Uh, This law gives unprecedented, disproportionate, extreme and wholly unnecessary powers to the police, allowing officers to detain us all indefinitely. Uh, Renewing these powers would demonstrate a lack of confidence and belief in the COVID vaccines. Uh, And uh, she ended by saying, uh, we urgently need to bring an end to these sweeping state powers and the ability of the state to interfere in our lives. So I don't know what you think about that, David. Uh, There's a lot of uh, positives to take out of it, of course, from a particular position that uh, perhaps uh, certain people don't feel they can't uh, step away from.
2: Yes, uh, there's, the, politics is always the art of the possible. And I think given from what's politically possible at the moment, um, and you will always find politicians um, uh, running from the idea of challenging medical orthodoxy because they, they feel they are not qualified and they would lose the argument. Um, and they don't recognise the fact that any reasonably intelligent human human being, can understand these arguments, can raise concerns, and can form an independent view. And that's okay. we were not run by experts. We're run by our own reason. Uh, but uh, the, even though that's that's not been fully grasped, uh, everything else you said there was was powerfully put and well put and absolutely spot on. The disproportionality, even if you accept a government narrative, even if you expe- accept the danger of COVID, uh, and even if you accept the, the the vaccine efficacy as claimed, the lockdown is uh, without any justification.
0: Yeah, D- David, I just pick her up on one thing. She used the expression "muddled thinking," and I think this is very telling. When when you hear people use this sort of phrase, they are. They are slightly on the oh well it's it's all a little bit muddled a little bit chaotic this is accidental policy all of the policy that's coming through at the moment absolutely calculated down to the last uh, full stop on the page and um, what is the policy designed to do to create confusion and chaos that is part of the weapon that's being unleashed on the public it is not a question that the uh uh, the government doesn't know what it's doing it certainly knows what it's doing and MPs and I've got to say Miss, Miss McVeigh is included in this needs to think this through this is an attack by the government on the public it's not muddled thinking um, well uh, campaigners not getting support from their employers
1: as perhaps some people will not find a surprise but this is a uh, University College Dublin professor Dolores Cahill moved from a lecture role, this is uh, reported in the Irish Times, so she has been removed from her position uh, as a, a teacher in the college um, and she has uh, apparently, or medical academics rather, have a responsibility around public health uh, and though, therefore because uh, she was saying things that the university didn't agree with, then they've decided, uh, David, that uh, Uh, She cannot uh, teach there any longer. Look, we're we're just going to quickly move on uh, to this. Uh, This is uh, the Contracts Finder. Thank you again uh, to one of our viewers, Christine, that uh, sent us through this through to me. Uh, Urgent COVID-19 legal analysis and support uh, redacted. Uh, This is for the Cabinet Office. Uh, it's an awarded opportunity. Uh, this was published on the 1st of February, 2021. I hadn't seen it, uh, but it's an awarded opportunity. This means that this contract has been awarded to a supplier. Uh, so let's have a look at the description. The purpose of this requirement is to produce legal advice and legal support for the redacted to act for the customer should it decide to redact it. Um, and uh, this is the feature of all the, all the documentation here. So who has been awarded the uh, contract? Well, it's Ashurst LLP, the legal firm. Uh, it was actually awarded in September 2020, although the contract has only just been uh, uh, published a few weeks ago. So let's just quickly have a brief, have a look at, th- at uh, what uh, it's all about. The purpose 1.1. The purpose of this requirement is to procure the legal advice and legal support required by the customer in relation to Redacted Act for the customer in relation to any redacted. That should all make sense. Uh, Background to the requirement, Uh, COVID-19 has resulted in most of the population being requested to stay at home when possible, uh, with the result that many sections of the economy are being uh, affected severely, uh, redacted. Uh, Cabinet Office is analysing the effect of the crisis, redacted. Uh, Scope of the requirement, it's redacted. Uh, The requirement itself is redacted. Uh, the supplier will be expected to provide legal advice in all aspects of the project's work streams, and such advice will be requ- provided to and relied on by HMG. This may be, include the following work streams by way of example only, and they're all redacted. Uh, so, David, uh, we are not entitled, uh, under of information or otherwise, to know what contracts, uh, what legal advice... Uh, what, uh, the, by the way, the, the amount of money on this is just shy of a million pounds, so it's not a small contract, it's a significant contract, but we're not allowed to know what it's about, why, why it's there, and what legal analysis and support the Cabinet Office actually needs.
2: It is outstanding, isn't it, as an egregious, that, that uh, the, the British public who are robbed to pay for this can not only not know the detail they can't even know the name of the thing that they're paying for well, because they can't be trusted with that information.
0: Can, can we have a stab at it then today? My, my money on the table is this is to defend the, ga- the uh, government uh, about adverse reaction claims mm-hmm. in relation to vaccines. That's... Uh, I, I, possibly,
1: but it, it did mention there's something to do with uh, people being, having restrictions placed upon them.
0: So it may also be something to do with lockdown well so uh, so we're, we're, we're in the right bracket then so we'll see what comes up on that yes I, I just popped this one in because this was sent to me and I thought uh, it was a, a very good uh, tweet that was circulating so it said Breaking Mary Ramsey from Public Health England says measures like masks and travel restrictions are likely to continue certainly for a few years before we go back to a." more normal situation so i've taken that one on face value a a
1: more normal situation more normal yes
0: yes okay
1: uh well where does that take us Uh, if you like what the uk column does and you would like to support us then please head over to ukcolumnorg forward slash community and uh, you would be more than welcome to join us there and take part uh, in the research discussion and so on on the website Uh, and if you would be kind enough to share our material on the various platforms that would be fantastic as well
0: okay well add to that uh we've been receiving a lot of material from uk column viewers to do with vaccines and vaccine adverse effects um we're going to package some of these but i'm opening the uh, dialogue on this today so this one here hi brian this may be of interest as you reported the chief executive of Pfizer had said he will wait his turn for the vaccine My work colleagues said their partner had the vaccine. I already know they work for Pfizer. She said they were so ill from it, they were in bed for days. I asked, were they in the vulnerable group? Were they now okay, Uh, as they're only in their 30s? Uh, Well, they weren't vulnerable. Um, I was told they classed themselves as on the front line. The partner was fine now. I mentioned it was weird the chief executive won't have it and that he was waiting his so-called turn. She said they aren't supposed to tell anyone really and the company doesn't speak about it either. So I think this what they're getting at here is that Pfizer isn't talking about the vaccination sort of internally and this one uh, getting more serious Uh, I came across your site by chance and thought you may be interested in my case as no one else is on the 3rd of February 2021 I had the first Pfizer so-called vaccination initially I had none of the common side effects headache chills etc however three days later I started bleeding from the bowel quite heavily this condition lasted six days I managed to get a doctor's appointment and was seen by a medic as opposed to a doctor Subsequently, I had faecal tests, blood tests, a colonoscopy, a gastro, uh, gastroscopy, all showing a negative test result. When I set, suggested that perhaps the vaccine may have been the cause, I came up against a brick wall. Now I've been invited for my second jab and have been advised to have it despite my previous reaction. There seems to be no advice available to those who've had similar issues. It appears the medical profession and the mainstream press are drunk on vaccine rollout do you have contact with good scientific advice uh, to those of us or for those of us that have had extraordinary reactions or are we as suggested from some quarters reacting hysterically i would be most interested to hear comments and would be glad to go public with what has happened in my case Um, now i'm going to say that we've we've had a number of people contacting us and of those people many of them know of groups of individuals who are now suffering so we're going to do our best to help uh, publicize what's happening um, and um, uh, we oh, sorry I think this will probably come up as a blank screen so we, we won't pop this on uh, but somebody was challenging us about uh, whether it was really a vaccine that was being used and my response to this was that at the moment we've got a big enough problem dealing uh with what the vaccine and the lockdown policy means uh without getting into areas which can confuse some people so that that's our policy at the moment and that's my verbal response to the person who was challenging us for still using the um the word vaccine um now what have we got here uh Pfizer has been circulating a video Uh, about their mission possible. And I happened to see this over the weekend and uh, absolutely fascinating uh, advert, if we can just have a look at what they say. Look at the um, text on screen carefully, listen to what's said very carefully.
6: A vaccine needs to be safe, vaccine needs to be effective, but a vaccine that's 100% effective but that we can't make quickly in large doses and then get those doses all across the world isn't much of a vaccine. So if we think about how long we would take to build our manufacturing network, typically that would be a two to three year process. We shrank it down to about five months, which I thought was borderline impossible.
5: Because vaccines are injected into people's bodies, They have to be manufactured
6: under extraordinary sterile conditions in dedicated facilities.
0: You can't just take like an old flu factory and turn it into a COVID
5: factory. You have to build and design for the product you're working on.
1: We engaged three manufacturing sites in the U.S. and two manufacturing sites in Europe. And they are working
6: full stop. So it's gigantic, the effort that is needed. So we took the plasmid DNA from St. Louis, we sent it to Andover, Massachusetts, we formulated the actual mRNA, and we needed to send it to two sites that had the ability to formulate the lipid nanoparticle, then mRNA, but also had the sterile fill finish capacity. So we selected Kalamazoo, Michigan, and Poor's Belgium. What goes through my mind as a supply chain guy, right? Of course you're worried about, do you have the ingredients, all the raw materials that are necessary? Do you have enough colleagues that are able to be trained and focus on this? Some of the equipment that we're using for the vaccine has never been designed before, never been built before, so you can imagine all the things that could go wrong.
0: Well, there you have it. I picked up some very interesting things in that. One of the ones was that they were talking about a 100% effective vaccine at one stage, which was drifted into a very strange sentence, which didn't make sense. And I didn't know what that was. Was that a mistake in the uh, media? Output of this company. I don't think so. I think 100% was drifted in because that was something to stick in in people's minds So a little bit of applied psychology going on there, but they said something very significant They said you can't take any old flu factory and use it for what we're doing You have to have purpose-built Um, sites and so I thought it was just interesting to have a look in a little bit of detail about the sites they're using. So this was part of the video they came up with St. Louis, Missouri. Uh, Number two they went to Andover, part of the um, delivery was going to Andover, Massachusetts. Uh, Number three was Kalamazoo, Michigan and uh, then um, vaccine components were going over the uh, Atlantic to Poors in Belgium so that was the chain that so the man boasted about normally would take them three years but he was very pleased with himself because he'd managed to do it in five months but they did say this could lead to some problems but there we are um, so this is the uh, first of those sites and uh, just catch up uh, here Um, So what are they saying about themselves? Well, this is the St. Louis Laboratories, uh, focused in the area of biotherapeutics and vaccine developments. Um, So a lot of uh, information about that site. And we've got here that, oh, sorry. I beg your pardon. Right, let's come back to this one. This one here, we've got that essentially, uh, we've got the breaking of ground of new R&D facilities in Chesterfield, Missouri. This is June the 27th, 2017. So it's very interesting that fights are just remarkable that they've managed to produce all of the right sites, um, just at the right time, really, in advance of what we're seeing with COVID. Um, so here's a bit more on um, Andover, Massachusetts. Here, I beg your pardon. I'm sorry, I don't know why that's uh, we're jumping through there. But uh, I've had a look at each one of these, and if we come on to this report here, this is about the Andover one, and we've got the third of June. 2019 the Pfizer injectable plant in Andover opens so David sorry I've had a little bit of button pressing problems here in the studio but essentially it it is remarkable that by an amazing coincidence um, we've we've got Pfizer able to produce the right production plant just in time for the COVID uh, uh, deliveries around the world
2: well I picked up from their um, their actual little blurb on their video that they were bigging up it's all it's all specially made just for covid just for this process and that was clearly not true now some of the fit out may well be um, a specialist but the building and the facility and the vast majority of the infrastructure has clearly been there for some years as you pointed out
0: indeed so we've just uh, come over to the kalamazoo one here which we'll bring up on screen so just massive massive facilities for all this stuff and uh, who has been visiting well a report here from digital daily president biden to two the Pfizer plant in kalamazoo today And if I just take a little bit about this, the Pfizer's global manufacturing site in Kalamazoo was developed in 2018 through the Good Jobs for Michigan program and comes after the Biden administration announced yesterday additional steps to increase the vaccine supply to states uh, to 10.5 million doses nationwide. So uh, from what I can see in that article, they're not talking about the overall a building of the site this was the upgrade of this site in 2018 but nevertheless we've we've actually got um, upgrade work happening just in time for the covid pandemic uh, but look at this if we go to Pur's factory this is the belgian factory now we've got a problem because Pfizer is cutting was cutting vaccine shipments as the belgium factory was renovated so here's feitzer sending product to an old flu factory which they said in their own promotional video that you couldn't do you had to build purpose-built facilities and this is part of the actual report here the updates will help boost capacity beginning in mid-february according to statements from norway germany feitzer and its partner bio NTEC, a very mysterious little company, BioNTech. So there we are, are boasting of its mission possible, but there seems to be some very, very strange coincidences in the whole of their uh, real estate that's just happened to be right to deal with the pandemic. Uh, but what's Big Pharma up to around this? Well, clearly now they're getting very worried at the amount of information coming out on social media so while researching this on Pfizer I was very interested to see that we're now getting a lot of material that the pharmaceutical industry needs to get to grips with social media Uh, why does it need to do that because it's realized that its reputation is now coming out onto the table and it's going to have to get its billions of dollars in to fix its image problem and uh, we might guess that part of its image problem is if you follow big pharma through you find that it's fully tied in with um, environmental goals this is part of a survey uh, which said that according to a recent global data poll of the pharmaceutical industry uh, professionals viewed environmental issues as the most important areas followed by social issues and governance issues And where am I getting to? Well, you don't have to go too far along this chain before you find the pharmaceutical industry is also fully behind the sustainable development goals, uh, leading to a, quote, lower world population growth. And in this article, um, this is the quote that caught my eye. Uh, Given our assumptions, the sustainable development goals have a sizable effect on global population growth providing additional rationale for vigorously pursuing their implementation. I'd like to know uh, what of these uh, goals has been discussed inside the Pfizer boardroom and uh, whether their products are in any way connected with that. So if I just uh, sum up maybe the questions a little bit, we've got Pfizer having specialist sites ready within the critical months of a COVID emergency. That's brilliant planning. Uh, The journalist said you can't convert a flu factory, you need a built specialist unit. Uh, Luckily, Pfizer had built some of those, but it was still happy to use the old flu factory in Belgium. And uh, once you get onto the Pfizer board, you're quickly looking at the sorts of policy that the sustainable goals are talking about. Um, And this is fully linked in with the World Economic Forum and the Atlantic Council. So what are these people up to? Um, Somebody kindly sent us this transcript from the Barclays Global Healthcare Conference. Uh, Pfizer was one of the participants. And this is Frank D'Amelio and a little quote, which uh, I was delighted to see. In terms of the guidance that we provided for 2021, if you look at our overall guidance, including COVID, the 15 billion us dollars in covid revenues uh, are growing operationally at 41 percent eps i'm not sure what that actually is but eps is growing operationally 38 percent if you remove the covid revenues and the covid profit and loss from our overall numbers and you go to just i'll call it our business without covid the top line next year is growing operationally at six percent so he's talking 41 percent with COVID and he's talking 6% on other matters. And he ends it with this. So from my perspective, we've got a nice operational rhythm going relative to the operational performance of the business. That sounds like to somebody saying they've got a nice little earner going, David, in my uh, business head.
2: Well, this, this, this just, just goes to show you, although many people are suffering greatly from their products, Pfizer and the other big vax companies uh, are doing nicely. Uh, I thought they were not meant to make any profit out of this, Brian. Was it not all meant to be delivered at cost? Oh, that's the only AstraZeneca. Humanity?
1: That's only AstraZeneca, David. Oh, my mistake. Sorry. Uh, but that yes, and it's only the first batch as well. So, uh, so don't, <laughs> don't get, don't get ah. excited about that. Terms and conditions apply. Uh, 100%. Well, look, uh, if Brian's talking about the coincidence of uh, uh, Pfizer upgrading uh locations just in time. Uh, Let's have a quick look at this. Uh, This is from Stratfor uh, this morning, desperate to revive tourism. The EU proposes a digital COVID-19 certificate. So they're saying the European Commission's proposed digital green certificate will have a modest impact on the European Union's tourism and hospitality sectors in the short term. But lingering questions about how COVID-19 immunity works and data privacy concerns could complicate the implementation process. Uh, The European uh, Commission unveiled on March 17th a plan to create a digital green certificate with verified information on people's COVID-19 status. So the other thing Brian said in that little segment, of course, was the close links between COVID policy and environmental policy. So here we have uh, the vaccine certificate stroke passport being labelled a green passport. Because we've got to make sure that everybody is appropriately psychologically trained. Uh, But uh, thank you very much to the number of people who did send uh, this document through to me. Because, of course, this idea of a vaccine passport stroke certificate from the EU is nothing new. Uh, This was uh, published in quarter three, 2019. This is the roadmap for the implementation of actions by the European Commission based on the Commission communication and the Council recommendations on strengthening cooperation against vaccine preventable diseases. And the first line of it is talking about uh, vaccine certificates. Um, So timelines and deliverables are talking about the feasibility study for the development of a common EU vaccination card uh, running up from 2019 to 2021. And then in 2022, uh, commission proposal for a common vaccination card stroke Passport for EU citizens, uh, and so it goes on. I recommend people uh, have a look at this uh, document because they're talking about uh, EU guidance for estam- establishing uh, electronic immunisation information systems, uh, and this is all EU wide. Uh, and here we've got uh, barriers impeding the uh, interoperability of, uh, of uh, sorry, of uh, national. Uh, immunization information system. So they're really talking about uh, merging the national uh, immunization certification, or sorry, information systems uh, into one uh, EU program. And so it goes on. There are page after page of these uh, all leading in the same general direction. Well, what about the UK? Well, as we know, the UK government is not uh, uh, admitting at this point that they are going to pursue uh, the same policy, but let's have a look at this little app. This is uh, uh, My GP, one app for all your healthcare needs. Uh, This is uh, providing NHS services, and you can uh, use the app if you're a patient or if you're working in primary care, or if if you, uh, Want to partner with my GP, uh, but uh, they have a new system coming onto this app. Uh, This app, generally, by the way, allows you to book uh, uh, book appointments with your GP and so on. Uh, But uh, they have a new thing coming. It's called my GP ticket, and of course, the tick of ticket is uh, in capitals to make sure you know you're going to get a green tick uh, if you're negative. Uh, This is your ticket back to normal. Apparently, it's coming soon and it will be added to the MyGP app. Uh, now, who uh, runs this organisation? Well, it's a company called iPlato Limited. Um, and uh, well, you can have a look at their website and see uh, what they are up to. But uh, David, uh, the, the, the UK government has been pretty vague about whether they're going to do it or whether they're not going to do it we know that they are going to do it despite their protestations that they may not Uh, but in the meantime private companies that are already providing services into the nhs are pressing ahead regardless um, and uh, really uh, getting people used to the idea
2: i think this is called social entrepreneurship that uh, you you see which way the government wants uh, wants to go to oppress the people and uh, you front-run the government so you have the software tools ready when they finally get round to announcing it. Um, yes, the the government, I'm sure, has seen the opposition that the green passports have had in Israel and are looking for something a little more underhand uh, for Britain. Uh,
1: yes, indeed. Now, I'm interested in your thoughts on what this is about. Uh, this is published by The Guardian uh, today. Have you experienced racism in the UK uh, related to covid uh, and they're saying that uh, in February 2020, a number of racist incidents in the UK linked to the coronavirus outbreak were investigated by the police. And I find that very, very interesting because uh, February 2020 had coronavirus, had that even begun at that stage? Not to any great degree. There were a few cases around the country. Certainly the, uh, the the rhetoric was starting to be ramped up in the mainstream press, uh, but it hadn't really hit us in anger yet. So uh, they have a, a nice little form for everybody to fill in if you feel that you have been uh, uh, experiencing racism as a result of COVID. But why do you think they would be doing this, David?
2: Oh, I think this is a this is a uh, orange man bad line because because Trump called it uh, the, the China virus. You know, back in the days when we thought it was you know funnier than it is now when everyone's locked down for a year. Um, we were calling it the Wuhan flu, I, I, and there is now a suggestion that people have been, people who are, who are ethnically Chinese have been have been mistreated because of the the flu coming from China. Uh, it seems very unlikely, but I think that's where they're going, um, and obviously trying to stoke more racial divisions along the way, as the Guardian the Guardian tends to do.
1: Yes, okay. Well, look, let's uh, move on to economic things. Uh, and, uh, well, you've got a graph here uh, showing long-term government bond yields uh, for 10-year bonds. Uh, what's your point here?
2: Well, uh, this, is, this is very long-term. This goes all the way back to about 1960. And uh, this is how much the government pays for its debt. And the, the, the issue I'm, I'm highlighting here is it increased uh, right up to the, the early 1980s. And since then, it has been all downhill, or until very recently, all downhill. Uh, that means every time the government uh, rolls over its debt, refinances the debt, because they don't pay any of it back, they just borrow some more to pay for the old debt. Uh, they're getting the borrowing cheaper and cheaper and cheaper as time goes on. This means that, that uh, government debt is ever more affordable. That's gone, that's stopped. There has been a turn, if we look at the more recent graph, at in, in, in a, in a uh, more closely you see there's a shift here. It's now starting to go up. It can't go down anymore It's hit a lower bound and that I'm suggesting is a secular shift. That's not cyclical. It's not short term That's the start of a secular uphill uh, Trend which means government debt is going to get more and more expensive We'll be watching that trend as we go forward another trend We're going to watch is the money supply the money supply chart Defies belief. Uh, so here we see uh, money supply slowly increasing until we get to uh, the, the the great financial crisis, two thousand eight, and then it, it takes a, an upturn um, and goes uh, goes up more more quickly, and then it gets to twenty twenty, and it just goes it just goes vertical. Stratospheric amount of money printing, all of that's gone into the economy, but the price inflation isn't really showing. Uh, why is that? Well, the velocity of the money, so it's a, five, a five-fold increase in M1 in America, five-fold increase in, in, uh, in, in base money and, and, and narrow money, um, and at the same time, the velocity of money, how quickly it's circulating around the economy, it's gone down five times. So, temporarily, price inflation isn't taking off, but that's, that's, that's called primed for launch. So we'll be watching those figures very carefully too.
1: Uh, yes, indeed. Now, let's move on to Scotland, David. And uh, what's, what's going on? What's the latest with the SNP? Well, a little bit of SNP
2: scandal because it's, it's Monday and we always do SNP scandal on Monday. Um, it, the paper headline here, Trio quit as Murrow, well, that's Peter Murrow, uh, chief executive of the SNP and uh, husband of Nicola Sturgeon, refuses to show them the SNP books. According to leaked papers, Treasurer uh, Douglas Chapman MP told the National Executive Committee that there was £1.5 million in the party coffers uh, for the election campaign and £600,000 for referendum planning. But uh, it's understood that members of the Finance and Audit Committee demanded to see the party's full accounts. When Mr Murrell, husband of First Minister, refused, three of them resigned. So all is not happy in the financial subcommittee of the SNP Um, and more on that, uh, I think, in weeks to come. Now, uh, much more concerning, though, when we come to corrupt Scotland, we have here um, a non-existent video from Craig Murray. Now, Craig Murray, former British diplomat, not someone who would necessarily see the world as we do, but who has been... Accurate and uh, brave in his reporting reporting of the Salmond Affair and thoughtful, and um, for this he has received the attention of the state. Um, He put together a video which is now gone from the internet. It said very interesting things. It said that the SNP, of which he was a member until recently, under Nicola Sturgeon is a cult. It has a cult of leadership problem, it says it's corrupt, it says that the Scottish state and the Scottish public life is profoundly corrupt, and it said specifically on the Salmon Affair that uh, many of the accusations were simply not credible, they were shown in court to be false, essentially made up, essentially lies, and that everybody who was uh, bringing these stories forward, all of the women, were very, very close associates of Nicola Sturgeon in her inner circle. And that's the critical thing. If the only women if, if only women who are very close to Nicola Sturgeon were bringing forward uh, allegations that had no credibility, all of the cover-up over it, and, oh, you can't ask questions because you'll re-traumatise the victims, narrative we're getting from senior SNP politicians is entirely false. He said it. He said it very well. And within 24 hours, it was gone. And then this morning... Um, He's uh, got another, another blog up and he says the world darkens a little more. I may have to spend some time as a political prisoner. So for reporting on the Salmon trial, for speaking his mind about the corruption of Scottish public life, it seems that he is uh, quite likely to be sentenced on Thursday this week uh, for contempt of court. Uh, and if that's the case, that is a very, very dark day for Scottish justice. And um, we will be watching carefully to see what happens.
1: Okay, and uh, tell us about this one.
2: And finally, on a lighter note, the SNP have been losing members a lot. So they've been running a media campaign on Twitter where people who have been joining or allegedly joining the SNP have been saying, I joined the SNP. And then this has been retweeted and reposted by all of their, their senior politicians to give the appearance of great popularity and people being right behind Nicola Sturgeon. Uh, this has been grasped by the rest of Scotland who have been having some fun with it and there is thousands of I joined the SMP tweets. Here we see Harvey Weinstein, uh, other other um, uh, people include Birkin here, uh, Lord Lucan, Shergar, Noddy and Darth Vader all have apparently joined the SMP this week.
0: Um, good stuff (laughs) well i'm not speechless I, i think we are seeing that the uh the corruption is now widespread through the scottish government and uh it's really just mirroring what's taking place in westminster this is created uh corruption this is politically orchestrated corruption for a much bigger agenda in the UK. Uh, Okay, let's come on to the uh, integrated defence, the defence part
1: of the integrated review that uh, Boris has been banging on for so long. Uh, We now have a a nice little video clip uh, released from the Ministry of Defence this morning. Uh, dangerous capabilities once held by a few nations are now easily accessible, and so on. Uh, so, what do we know about it so far? Well, apparently, there's going to be ten thousand troops cut from the uh, from the overall headcount, reducing the number to seventy two thousand five hundred. The Royal Ma- Marines uh, are going to uh, end as a, an, an organization, as a uh, an institution, uh, and they're going to be rebranded to become the future commando force. Uh, and apparently this is going to allow them to be deployed around the world on an enduring basis. Uh, and uh, uh, they're going to take up many of the, what are the, the traditional roles uh, of the special forces, the SAS and the SBS, uh, alongside a new Army Ranger Regiment. Now, the Army Ranger Regiment seems to be uh, formalizing what's been going on for quite a long time, where we send uh, uh, special forces into foreign countries, train the troops uh, in those countries to Pursue a, a British agenda. Um, and uh, so the uh, Royal Marines apparently are going to get £200 million of direct investment uh, over 10 years uh, in order to preempt and deter sub threshold activity and counter state threats. Now, what sub-threshold activity means is uh, activity which isn't really gonna start a war. Uh, It might mean disinformation. It might mean uh, perceived threats uh, with respect to that. Uh, So uh, here is uh, Ben Wallace, who was uh, writing in The Telegraph over the weekend, uh, talking about the command paper defense in a competitive age. Uh, Now, this this is language that we've been hearing for a very long time. Um, And uh, well, he said that across a vast global footprint, we'll be uh, constantly operating to deter our adversaries and measure, uh, sorry, and reassure our friends, integrating with our allies and ready to fight should it be necessary. And it's this integration, uh, because what he's been talking about and what others have been talking about is uh, this integrated operating concept, they're integrating with all their allies, including the EU, the United States and others. Uh, This is uh, uh, Mark Carlton-Smith, apologies that the graphic isn't labelled as to who it is, otherwise known as Lord Flashheart, and uh, people who know uh, Blackadder will understand what I mean. Uh, And he's saying that the creation of the Rangers alongside uh, the uh, future commando force will free up special forces to focus on the most persistent and lethal threats associated with hostile state actors. Now, if we, uh, we have known this has been coming for quite some time, because if we go back to uh, late 2019, I think this was, uh, the, uh, Ben Wallace was talking about uh, in the autumn, uh, the chief of defence staff set out his plans for how we will operate through the intero- uh, integrated operating concept. Sorry, this was autumn 2020. Uh, we must work with allies to make the most of new technologies, improve integration across all domains and throughout the spectrum of conflict. Uh, the Secretary of State's Office of Net Assessment and Challenge will encompass wargaming, doctrine, red teaming and external academic analysis, he said. And he said the widespread use of cyber-organized crime, electronic warfare, proxy fighters and disinformation can be seen on nearly every continent. So just briefly uh, to remind uh, ourselves what the integrated operating concept is about. It's about offensive, being offensive rather than defensive. Uh, And this is uh, Sir General General Sir Nick Carter, uh, speaking at the end of last year as well, the nature of war remains constant. It's visceral and violent, and it's always about politics. He said, uh, what is changing is the character of warfare, which is evolving significantly due to the pervasiveness of information and the pace of technological change. Uh, And he said, uh, we need a new model for deterrence that takes account of the need to compete. and uh, so, you know, it's, it's all uh, nonsense language in one respect, but in, the other, in another respect, it's uh, about uh, getting rid of uh, many of the so-called industrial platforms that, that uh, the UK has used in the past, tanks, planes, this kind of thing, uh, and replacing it with counter disinformation uh, with uh, c- cyber warfare and so on. I mean, they're talking about, they are talking about at this point the SAS being deployed uh, to, quote, disrupt Russian meddling around the world. Uh, and I can't remember which mainstream outlet said that. Um, so, David, I don't know what you think of this whole thing, but one, w- there's two, two key points here. One is that, that cyber is being used increasingly as an offensive weapon against foreign nations, but equally it's being used as an offensive weapon against the UK's own population. And I think this is probably the most disturbing aspect of this integrated operating concept and and the new way of doing things is that, uh, and, and Carter was absolutely clear about this in his speech. Uh, he said, what was it he said? He said that, you know, when when troops go to a foreign country, they know who the enemy is in that foreign country, but increasingly they're coming home and they don't know who the enemy is at home. And, uh, you know, it's clear that the, that the UK population is now a target for uh, military operations.
2: The UK population is a target. And there's something else at the, the, the back of this. Uh, this this excessive worry about uh, information, about viewpoints, all the nonsense that's said about something like Russia today, having a different viewpoint and putting a different idea, is almost as if there's an acceptance that... Um, as a society, that we don't believe in anything, that they don't believe in anything, the people running the army uh, and the government don't believe in anything, and they can be swayed by anything. And and the only thing to do is to control, manipulate, in a kind of um, narcissistic abuse fashion, the whole of the country. That's the only way to keep them on the straight and narrow, because you can't trust them to be upstanding men and women and have their own viewpoints anymore because we've trained that out of them we've we've driven that away we educate that out of them through through state funded education which is just about obedience and once we've trained them to obey well we've got to make sure they don't obey someone else because they can't think for themselves there's something about this and and i don't think that's going to be as true in places like russia and i think they've they've created a problem which they're now trying to fix in a very obtuse way that doesn't seem to me to have any substance to it. Um, at the end of the day, if the, if the army needs to be an army, it will be assessed, its ability will be assessed on its ability to, to, to fight and, and to do so successfully. And simply having the, you, the the most effective PR campaign ultimately won't hack it. At the end of the day, it will come down to hard power and if they're not there and we don't have the ability, we don't have the resources and we don't have the knowledge, then it will be very difficult to assemble it in a short space of time when needed.
1: Uh, unless, uh, Brian, I mean, everything David said is correct, but unless uh, we're in fact bringing every national militaries together uh, into some single point command and control mechanism.
0: Well, I think that's what that's what's happening, Mike. We, we've got the the public are absolutely shut out of what's happening. This language is designed to completely deceive the public as to what's going on here. But if you take special forces, SAS have always operated overseas on missions undeclared to the wider public. We're now going to increase that outfit from from their current strength to a thousand plus is what I've been reading. Who's gonna control this private army? Well, it's gonna be the cabinet office. It's gonna be the cabinet office controls the cyber army So what what you've got is Britain's military being pulled underground to be controlled by people who can't be held responsible. Um, I'm really disappointed because I missed a report from Russia today, had a few technology problems today, but there we go. Um, So I'm afraid I can't bring it on screen. Uh, but Russia today reporting pretty concisely that uh, what's happening in UK is the British public are now being attacked by their own intelligence, security, and military um, personnel, and I think this is this this is an accurate analysis of what we're seeing happen. But of course, ultimately, fewer and fewer people are going to control these uh, military forces and cyber systems and the drones, um, it's not not going to be about a nation state, it's going to be about something completely different mm. if we allow it to happen.
1: Uh, right, let's move on to this. Uh, this is uh, the Right Honourable Robert Buckland, QCMP, who's the Lord Chancellor and Secretary of State for Justice. Uh, and he's saying, we must seize the opportunity to restore balance between the institutions that have been so integral to our success as a nation. So which institutions is he talking about? He's talking about Parliament on one hand, he claims, uh, and he's talking about the courts on the other. Uh, and uh, the government is particularly concerned about uh, judicial review being used to challenge uh, legislation uh, that's viewed bad as bad legislation by some, and so they've uh, taken that legislation into the courts uh, Simon Dolan is an example of this, attempting to bring judicial review. Uh, and so uh, the government launched uh, on uh, th- Thursday or Friday last week uh, a public consultation uh, which is apparently going to directly address the recommendations of an independent panel of experts which are led by Lord Fox QC, uh, who considered evidence for, from a range of organisations, academics and legal professionals. Um, and so this is apparently to protect in inverted commas, judges for being drawn into politics uh, and to strike the right balance between public scrutiny and the need for effective government. Um, and uh, so, David, I don't know what your, what your thoughts might be on this, but uh, obviously the fact that members of the public are increasingly willing to, to take government to court uh, under the judicial review process is no longer appropriate.
2: No longer proper because like Highlander, there can be only one. And it was interesting that the monarchy was missing from that list of things that uh, shaped Britain, as indeed was the church and the military and civil society. So it's just between the courts and parliament now. It's a big club, and uh, Mike and Brian, uh, we're not in it.
1: Uh, no, we're, we're not. No. Uh, okay, well, look, uh, let's end off uh, with New Green Deal and so on A Green New Deal. Uh, what's uh, NQ Report talking about?
2: Well, it it was quite cold in in Texas. This is uh, one of the Texas windmills uh, being uh, unfrozen. Um, Abbott, who is the the governor, um, was um, uh, getting an award uh, not so long ago for um, uh, wind leadership and then there was a near collapse of wind energy generation um, the politicized, politicization of energy generation in favor of green alternatives over natural gas and other fossil fuels has led to the unintended consequences of freezing Texans facing multiple millions of dollars in property damage and worse. Now, uh, the, we've then got um, uh, 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 Bob Murphy, who's an uh, Austrian school economist, and expert in the economics of, um, of energy. Um, he's writing uh, wind power is a disaster in Texas no matter what Paul Krugman says and he he explains that um, uh, he says the state generates a lot of electricity from wind, although it's a small fraction of the total Um, but that's not because Texas is run by environmental crazies it's because these days wind turbines are a cost uh, effective energy source whenever there's a lot of wind Uh, and and, uh, the one thing has, the one thing uh, Texas has is a lot of wind. This is Paul Krugman writing here. Sorry, it's also uh, true that extreme cold forces uh, extreme cold force some of the states insufficiently winterized wind turbines to shut down. But this was happening in Texas energy sources across the board, and with the worst problems involving natural gas. So that's a statement from Paul Krugman. So wind is cost effective. It's it's energy efficient. There were problems, but the problems were mostly natural gas. Um, Now. uh, Bob Murphy looks at the truth of the situation um, and he, he compares uh, the 15th of February when the problems were most severe, 2021, with the 15th of February, 2020. And he finds that the, the change in electricity output across the sectors is quite interesting. Natural gas, the one that Paul Krugman was, was saying was the biggest problem, had increased output by 91% and wind had decreased output by 72%. So what he's showing there is that the spin that people like Paul Krugman and the um, Green Energy Lobby put on um, energy matters and energy crises and energy problems is entirely deceptive, that they have an agenda to push. The agenda is to push inefficient green energy uh, driven by government subsidy and um, an energy source that can leave the population terribly vulnerable when the climate, when the weather... Uh, Tons uh, against them, or when there's um, periods when such things as wind turbines are simply not spinning.
0: Indeed, I'm just silent. I'm just silent. <laughs> I'm just silent. <laughs> okay, well, it okay. gets more and more difficult to to report the news on the basis that how do you do it? Yeah, yeah. Okay, well I think that brings us to the end. Thank you very much to the viewers and listeners for joining us. Uh, Thank you for all the support that we're getting and some really lovely emails thanking us for what we're doing. Thank you for that. It's a big boost when those come in. Uh, I'll just end by saying that I was working over the weekend looking at the issue of vaccine adverse effects. Um, I've got an hour's discussion on that with former nurse Debbie Evans and uh, we'll speak more about that on Wednesday. But if there's anybody out there who knows of people who've had bad effects from the vaccine or you've had a vaccination and you would like to talk to us about your experience, we'd certainly like to hear from you.
1: Uh, We'll be back in 10 minutes if you're on the UK Colm live stream with some extra.
0: Okay, that's it. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.